how do we move from reactively treating crises and uh, treating hunger as it uh, arises? How do we move from that to proactively preventing hunger and food insecurity from taking root in households, families, and entire communities? Because from a health standpoint, from a socioeconomic standpoint, we all know that prevention is better, easier, and cheaper than treatment. Welcome back to Chat with Leaders, where we amplify the voices of leaders who use business and influence as a force for good. We believe that it's their example that will have a tremendous impact on our next generation of servant leaders who will carry us forward into our bright, sustainable future. In this episode, I chat with Jack Griffin, the founder and CEO of Food Finder, who was recently awarded the 30 under 30 by Forbes in the category of social impact. Food Finder is a national nonprofit organization whose website and app helps food insecure families find and get help from their closest food pantries. Over the last nine years and throughout high school and college, yes, I said it, high school and college, Jack grew Food Finder to where it is today, the single largest source of food pantry information available anywhere in the U.S with more than 45,000 free food program listings. He graduated from the University of Michigan in 2019, where he studied business administration and social work, and today is leading Food Finder's mission full-time. During the pandemic alone, Food Finder has connected more than 1 million Americans to free food assistance nationwide. I was joined by a special co-host today, Mike Morris, who is a mutual mentor of both mine and Jack, So it was really special to have him on the show, not as a two-time guest that he's been, but also as a co-host and someone who knows Jack really well. He has just such an incredible story, and I'm excited to unpack it with you all today. Enjoy. Jack, welcome to Chat with Leaders. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here, and I'm so thrilled to be accompanied by a guest host today who's also been a two-time guest on Chat with Leaders and an admired mentor of both of ours, Mike Morris. So Mike, thank you for joining us today. It's great to be here. I love when people I love get to know each other through some other channel. I'm just so happy you guys are connected and uh, it's an honor to be here. Thanks. Well, one of the things that I've learned through the journey of leadership and podcasting and having these conversations is that it's all about generational impact. And the theme we hear time and time again is the importance of a seeking a mentor, but be being that mentor when you get to that arrival point in your career. And I know how much of an impact you've had on Jack's life. Mike, you've had a tremendous impact on my life and starting my media production business. And uh, it really is just an honor to to be sitting in the room with both of you here uh, talking about Jack's leadership and the good work he's doing with Food Finder. So I wanted to jump right in with my first question for you, Jack. What do you wish that everybody knew about the issues surrounding food insecurity today? Yeah, of course. Um, the short answer is quite a lot. But I think first and foremost, I always am really keen to remind you know anyone I'm speaking with that food insecurity is truly everywhere in America. You know, hunger isn't limited to any type of person, uh, household, or community. And that's why Food Finder isn't either. You know, we want to serve and be of service to folks everywhere. So even if it is maybe, again, an affluent area, an area or a community in which it sure seems like, oh, I don't see homeless people on the street. You know, you may not have that uh, 
idea of hunger in your head, but it's still ever present nonetheless. So um, that's always something I hope to remind folks of. Uh, second is that, of course, we've all been paying a lot of attention, thankfully, to the issue of food insecurity during the pandemic. Uh, as we all remember, in March, April 2020, we saw the striking images on the news of cars lined up for miles um, to receive a box of food from a food bank or a food pantry. And even though the need for food insecurity assistance was certainly something that skyrocketed because of COVID-19, I also want to remind folks that there were 37 million Americans who were struggling with hunger before COVID ever hit our shores, you know, in late 2019, when the economy was killing it, it was on fire, we were at virtually full employment. And still more than 10% of the country, including 11 million children, were not sure of where their next meal would come from on a consistent basis. So that's always striking. And a lot of people are surprised to learn that. And finally, what has become an increasingly important part of my appeal when sharing my work with Food Finder to folks is that we, you know, in America and around the world, we have enough food to feed everyone. You know, the amount of food in production in the world isn't the problem when it comes to fighting hunger. It's just making sure that that food that we do have ends up in the hands of the people who need it the most, that we don't waste that food, that we let people know where free food assistance is available and being offered, which is, of course, our bread and butter, for lack of a better term. Um, so it's just a combination of different things to where no one really has a reason to dig into food insecurity or the fight against hunger unless they're directly in it themselves or impacted by it. Um, so doing a bit of education is still something I don't mind at all in terms of helping, you know, illustrate what, you know, just the reality that we're facing today. Jack, you conjured that image. I remember watching the TV early in COVID and these lines of people outside the food banks, the cars lined up. It was a big headline. At that point, I remember, I distinctly remember thinking, I am so happy Jack followed his vision. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, it's, um, it was seven years exactly. Um, I had the idea for what, for what would become Food Finder in March 2013. So, and that was, again, I was a sophomore in high school at the time. And for the next six years, I would just do my best to juggle midterms and finals with growing and expanding Food Finder's mission. And thankfully, I did uh, arrive at the decision to jump into Food Finder and our mission full-time after graduating college in May 2019. And lo and behold, you know, less than 10 months later, uh, COVID hit and everything took off from there. I want to make sure that our listeners heard that you said that you were a sophomore in high school when you started this business. And that's astonishing to me. You talked about the striking need today, but for you as a leader, that's striking to me. So if you can take us back to when you first started Food Finder in 2013 and kind of wrestled with the tension and decided you wanted to start a business around this, what ultimately at that point shaped your purpose and your overarching why? Yeah, of course. Um, and still not like I'm some savant or anything like that. Food Finder is my one good idea in uh, more than 20 years. So just lucky to have stuck with it. Back in 2013, as I'm sure lots of people listening might remember, we were still pretty close and coming out of the Great Recession, um, the crisis caused in 08 and 09. And that was the recovery we were then experiencing firsthand back then, almost a decade ago uh, already. And of course, when I was still a sophomore in high school, 
I didn't have any like super fiery streak of activism or entrepreneurship. You know, it was just one night before school. I was watching 60 Minutes, uh, like all the cool kids. And the story that they were doing uh, back then was highlighting how even though in 2013, a few years after the worst of the crisis, right, the stock market was improving, the economy, quote unquote, was improving. But the folks who were hit the hardest by the recession, families and uh, adults who, and kids who lost everything, um, jobs, homes, who were made food insecure and uh, facing poverty because of the recession, they were not reaping the benefits of that economic recovery nearly as quickly as everyone else. And it just, it shattered my ignorance as to what the reality was for millions of kids, literally my age, who were getting ready for school in the bathrooms of public libraries and gas stations and living out of trucks. And that's where they were going to sleep and waking up from every morning before they went to school. And it just, it did you know, light that fire under me. The light bulb didn't go off right away. I was like, all right, I know this is a problem now. Where can I go in my community help to help kids like that? Um, and, you know, where I could volunteer or donate and, you know, still pretty standard stuff. It was the search for those programs, um, that Google search of, you know, food pantries in Gwinnett County, Georgia, uh, food pantries near me, then showed me firsthand how difficult it was to find food pantries and social service programs in America. Just, it was way harder than I thought. Again, I, even in the moment, I was thinking to myself, you know, who cares about me having trouble, right? I'm just a regular kid wanting to help out. What if I was someone using these exact same search terms, trying to find these really vital programs? What if I was someone like those kids in that news story who needed the assistance, who needed the food being offered at these programs? And that really didn't sit well with me or it just didn't seem right. And it was, I think, not like I was super, you know, selfless or, you know, I was still at that point, right? I was worried about getting good grades, thinking about college and things like that. But I think it was because I wasn't having to worry about this jumping through these hoops and I didn't have to worry about where my next meal was coming from. It still didn't seem right to me that much more. And I was like, all right. Now that I know that this is a problem and I think that there's even this more specific issue of how do we, you know, how do people in need even find and get help from these programs like food pantries in the first place? It was like, all right, maybe solving that problem specifically could be how uh, I have more of an impact on a larger scale than maybe just, again, donating a few cans of food or, uh, you know, volunteering a few hours of my time over the weekends or over the summer. Disagree with one thing that you said there is that you were just a regular kid. Uh, that is not a regular kid in my book, and it's a pretty remarkable story. Mike, does that ever get old to you hearing that story? No, I love hearing it. And, you know, my intersection point with the story uh, happened in those early days. I used to be, I spent about a decade on the board for the Technology Association of Georgia. Once a year, we, I would go to what I called my favorite meeting of the year. In part, it's that I don't like a lot of meetings, but it was the selection committee for the Excalibur Awards, organizations that use technology in creative ways. And so, you know, I'm, I get in the room and there's a CIO and a CTO and a couple of entrepreneurs and we're the panel. And I had taken all the applications and made my notes. I somehow missed that this food finder group that was coming in, that it was a, can I say high school kid? It was a high school kid. You know, today there's this polished young man with this great story, but he was a high school kid. And we were all a little blown away. And 
I'm expecting he's a, well, he must be some sort of social service kid. Like that's like his jam. Like, no, actually this was something he chose to do. I'm like, okay, he must be a coder, right? He must be a kid that just sits around and hacks stuff. No, he found somebody who could do that. So it, it was this unique story. And you also had this group of reasonably accomplished professionals after Jack Lee's were like, what have we done with our lives? You know, like, like, look at it. Like, why weren't we starting stuff like this in high school? And then he, then he goes on and he wins. He wins one of the Excalibur awards in the, in the creative use of technology. And uh, it was a really exciting, cool story to watch from the early days. But yeah, I think his, I just figured he was the president of the service club or the, you know, the guy taking the software courses on the side. And he just had something on his heart and went out and tried to solve a problem. It was very cool to watch. There were some wins. There was some recognition, acknowledgement in the community by established business leaders, entrepreneurs. And, and I would have been blown away in that moment too. I am now just thinking back at it. But when you first started and you got going in the business, what became more challenging than you expected? For sure. I think something that really caught me off guard, Jeff, was, and I don't even think I've probably shared this too much with Mike either, something that was really surprisingly uh, a challenge for us was even just speaking to food insecure kids and their families to do pretty basic customer discovery work of, you know, I wanted to make sure that it really for the year after I had the idea of, you know, maybe making a website or an app that could have all this really important information on food pantries and food assistance programs, you know, all under one roof, really easy, plain and simple to digest and find uh, on behalf of folks in need. Um, I was reaching out to, again, my um, the homeless coordinator for my county school system, reaching out to teachers and administrators of my high school specifically as like counselors as well of staff members of my school is like, hey, I know that you work with, and we still even hear, you know, back then, you know, in the Duluth, Suwannee, Georgia area, I know we have kids on free introduced lunch. I know we have families who surely struggle with these issues as well. Is there any way I can, you know, speak with them? I want to make sure, like, would this be something, this tool that would, again, go on to become food funder? Would it be helpful? And we got really great information. And we, of course, got the corroboration that food finder absolutely would solve a real problem, but speaking face to face and even having a sit down with folks experiencing food insecurity or who, who, who came from low income backgrounds was a monumental challenge. And I think what, it, what that really gets to the issue of um, for the purposes of this story is the stigma on poverty in America. Uh, the fact that folks we're happy to like, again, through someone, through a trust counselor or, or, or a student who was hungry or food insecure, who felt comfortable sharing their stories and their problems with a teacher or a counselor who could then relay that information to me. So we still had those good insights, but they're not fit. You know, they're, they're not going to reveal their tough circumstances to a stranger, to a kid they might go to school with or have classes with. That's not something they're comfortable with. And it's just a really unfortunate part of our society to where I'm, I remember vividly a story that one of my assistant principals told me when I was doing this research of how there was um, a program uh, at a school to where they knew that every weekend, families who really relied on free introduced meals at school, uh, school lunches and school breakfast for their children, they weekends were always a tough time without school meals. So they were like, all right, let's get all this food on a bus and park it out front of the school every Friday afternoon. So these kids, if they felt comfortable, could have, uh, could take some of these uh, you know, prepackaged meals and these snacks home with them for the weekend 
so they wouldn't really have to be um, have to fend for themselves. And this, um, the only bus that was available at the time was a, a short bus, bus that's a lot of us typically associate with students with special needs. And they went through with it. They had the, the food all there on the bus and the program. And they let families and their kids know, and no one took advantage of it. Um, the imagery of even a people seeing them potentially getting help um, at that afternoon, if they knew that like, oh, that's where the poor kids are getting food from. Um, the short bus, this is so much of these, again, the stigmas that we wish really that have no business being there that are really only detrimental to us as a society. Even in that example, right? The food could be there. It could be right there where the students are. And because of the shame and stigma on needing that kind of help, it could all go to waste. Um, and that's why in a small park, Food Funner always is like, we want to remind folks it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to seek this assistance because we want to, that's why we're all here in the first place. We're not thinking less of you. We're not uh, exuding any judgment on you and your circumstances. We just want to make sure we can give you a helping hand in your time of need. It's not a reflection of you or your work ethic or your personality or who you are as a person. So I know that was a long-winded answer, but it's just, it speaks to so much of what was a challenge early on and what still are um, very significant hurdles that we have to overcome in our society. Yeah, tell me if I have this right, but I think in the, the early days when you were doing your, kind of your field research and really getting out there, I think you cracked some important part of the code with um, figuring out that high school counselors were your intervention point, right? That they tended to year in and year out, find out about these situations. They accumulated their own little toolkits of resources that they had picked up around their area. And I think you actually ran a little campaign to like get in front of them at their conference or get in front of their, their publications or something. Do I have this right? Yeah, absolutely. Counselors um, are a huge uh, touch point for low-income students and families because they see. I mean, teachers and counselors in particular just have a really unparalleled vantage point to see um, which of their students or you know the kids that they work with. It can be pretty apparent to them very quickly which of their students don't have enough food when they go home from school every day, which of them might be experiencing family troubles. Uh, and again, with a counselor, especially in high school, right, if there's a counselor who's trying to help their students, you know, think about what's the next move after graduation, is it college, is it a trade school, and hunger is such a debilitating force that limits and inhibits students' abilities to focus, to get good grades, to pursue these more meaningful opportunities after high school. And they showed me the printed binders of resource lists of food pantries that they had from like 2008 of that they know that these kids need help after school. They didn't have a good way to make those connections because they just had, I think it was if it was from the United Way, it was just uh, from the county level. Again, printed binders that they might have gotten a, a few years ago of resources and like social service programs that they knew they could make referrals with. But they also knew that a lot of this information was out of date. It wasn't good. It wasn't well-maintained but it was the best they had to work with. And I was like, food finder could definitely help everyone be better off. Uh, and we can make sure that, you know, we could be the ones to keep that information accurate and up to date because the students who need this help and who could use this information have enough to worry about. Again, teachers and counselors, not, let's not get into how much work that they have to do uh, on a day-to-day -day basis and for too little money. Um, food finder could take that burden on ourselves because we could, that could be all we do. And we could, take that burden off of the shoulders, again, of the people seeking help and of the advocates, as we call them now, the advocates of food insecure families like teachers, counselors, and social workers who make referrals 
uh, to the folks and the students that they know could also really use these uh, programs. You mentioned that you're still dealing with that fundamental issue of that stigma being associated with food insecurity and poverty today, and that that's a, a fundamental leadership challenge that you're facing. Uh, but what's another leadership challenge that you face still today and, and that maybe you foresee 10 years from now? Yeah, another big challenge that I've been thinking about, especially within the last two years, Jeff, of the um, uh, as we've been living in this mid-COVID or hopefully soon, you know, post-COVID uh, world, how do we, and again, very big we, um, could have like several different meetings, you know, we as Food Finder, um, we as the Fight Against Hunger, or we as a, as a society, how do we, you know, with a capital W, how do we move from reactively treating hunger, food insecurity, and a whole, you know, myriad of other socioeconomic issues uh, in America? How do we move from reactively treating crises and uh, treating hunger as it uh, arises, how do we move from that to proactively preventing hunger and food insecurity from taking root in households, families, and entire communities? Because from a health standpoint, from a socioeconomic standpoint, we all know that prevention is better, easier, and cheaper than treatment. And that's something that I'm thinking of. Uh, how can we, again, get in that whole issue gets into how do we more equitably serve food insecure folks across the country. We get into the gaps of that Black and Latinx households are uh, at least twice as likely to be food insecure as their white counterparts in America. Um, there's so much more room for improvement as that, yeah, in the next 10 years, it will take at least that long to, to really make some meaningful progress. 10 years from now, like in the 2030s, what that challenge may be, you know, your guess is as good as mine. I wouldn't dare, you know, hazard a guess to even, you know, uh, try and guesstimate what that challenge may be at that point in time. But again, moving from treatment to prevention is what I'm thinking about. And then uh, from beyond that, from a sector-wide standpoint, how can we more deliberately coordinate resources to, again, not just try and throw more food or more money at the problem of hunger in America, because we have, as I mentioned before, we have enough food, we have enough money to solve these problems. It's just, again, the allocation of resources, it's the efficiency of resources. And again, what Food Finder focuses on is how do we raise the utilization of the amazing abundance of services that are already out there? You know, we have 60,000 food pantries on the ground across all 50 states already. How do we, again, not just try and say like, oh, let's make Jack's Food Pantry. And so, so it's 60,001. Um, and I might be able to serve folks within a couple mile radius. How do we have, sort of be that rising tide that lifts all boats? How do we make sure that the tens of millions of folks who need food assistance in America are that much more, that those food pantries are that much more accessible to the folks who need them? Mike, there's one thing that I wanted to ask you, because I feel like a lot of times in leadership, we lead to the problems that exist today in the present, and we're not thinking necessarily uh, into the future, into the next generation of, of issues. And we see this as a recurring theme of there's kind of a cyclical nature to the way generations lead and pass down wisdom, and, and it's changed quite a bit in the third and fourth industrial revolution. But you know, talking to someone like Jack gives me so much hope for our future. It gives me so much hope to know that, you know, when we go beyond this, this side of heaven, that we've got, that we're leaving it in the good hands of that next generation who are going to steward the next generation behind that. 
What do you think the significance of that is? And what kind of hope does that also give you? Yeah, you know, I was thinking about something as Jack's been talking that, you know, we're all, we're all looking at what are the best places to invest, right? Invest our money, invest our time. And so again, flashing back, seeing this sharp young guy with a vision willing to go work on it. Of course, I'd be happy to help that guy. So I, you know, I reached out to Jack, got to know him. We've stayed in touch over the years, but we all, you know, if he was like, whatever, old man, I don't need your time, you know, or if he, you know, I give him what I think are three good ideas. He never follows up on any of them. Like, okay, I'm kind of done. I got other places I could put my time. Um, So I think as mentors, people are looking for places to invest their time that'll get a good return. And uh, so, yeah, I also, you talk about the, the multi-generational aspect, Jack, you remember we, I had, I had a chance to be present when Jack met the outgoing head of the Atlanta community food bank. Remind me his name, Jack. Um, was Mr. Bill Bowling, Bill Bowling, famous in the Atlanta area. It started this small and then it grew and then it grew. And he, I think had already at that point announced his retirement was in transition. And I got to be in the room while they were talking and looking at each other like, oh, you're at one end of this career. I'm at the other. It was very, it was a hopeful moment. It was really cool to see it almost a passing of the flame. I agree with that. And I also think the the way that Jack, you've honored your mentors and, and welcomed them into your story as well. And, and, and looking at that wisdom being passed down, but also the optimism and the energy that you're bringing to your, your business and your leadership so as you've tackled these issues of food insecurity and some of the stigmas that are out there, you've been more preventative and you're focusing on that, which I think is the right focus. How do you personally find work-life balance as a leader amid the pursuit of solving these never-ending demands of fighting hunger? Yeah, uh, I'll let you know when I figure it out. You know, but, uh, but seriously, I think... Um, that's something that Food Finder has an organization on. I mean, I don't think we, re- we really phrase it as work-life balance, um, but I mean, still, of course, in that same vein, Food Finder as an organization is very adamant. Uh, despite our small team, we just have about uh, 10 folks on the payroll right now. And what we really like to frame it as for our purposes is that we're not going to have anyone at any level of the organization, we're not going to have Uh, anyone destroy themselves for the sake of our mission. Burnout in social work, in in the nonprofit sector, burnout is um, so real, uh, as it is in a lot of the corporate world. And I'm sure with a lot of the folks that you've spoken with already, Jeff, um, you know, a lot of um, eerie similarities between, you know, super white collar, uh, stressful, you know, 80 hour work week type corporate jobs and, you know, 40 hour work week social impact and social work jobs. Um, so we're never going to have anyone destroy themselves for the sake of our mission. We are, it's one of food finders core values is that we are no one's savior. You know, service is not saviorism. And even though our work is important, we're very proud to do the work that we do to be able to, again, just do our small part to help folks in their time of need. The work will always be there. Um, we're not going to solve anything overnight. Um, so we're not going to have anyone really run themselves into the ground for food finder. You know, me personally for like work-life balance, Something that was really I was not great at the first year of the pandemic because there's so much to do. Um, again, partnerships with like Google literally were coming into being. And when like a fang company comes knocking, then your sleep schedule tends to deteriorate. Certainly, it took probably a year and a half of working in the post-COVID world for me to sort of bring my head up for air. 
and um, reinstill some good habits, you know, and it's just simple things, right, of, you know, cooking, uh, reading, uh, thankfully now with the vaccines, right, and the boosters and the COVID numbers going down here in 2022, I'm hanging out with my friends again, doing more in-person events for, again, personally and professionally, which has just been a really very helpful for my mental health, you know, getting better at uh, making drinks, see my fever tree display. So whenever I have friends over to my apartment, which again, I'm just doing for the first time in the last few months, I'm treating people very well. And, you know, uh, having folks try new, you know, food, drinks, you know, just fun stuff like that. You know, even if it's just once a month, having uh, small get togethers with, you know, a few close friends is just uh, really re-energizing for me. Um, but of course, right, for the intrinsic motivation of that, everything that I do with Food Finder, even if I'm you know, doing a huge grant application or working, you know, actually uh, earlier this year, I was uh, manually <laughs> reviewing a 58,000 row spreadsheet as part of a data cleaning uh, exercise that was just, um, was just taking too long to get done. So that took, you know, about a full 40 hour work week to, to, to review that spreadsheet line by line to find uh, some outdated listings that we needed to get out of the database, you know, you just do it because you know it needs to, it, you know it needs to get done. Uh, and it's not everything. And you can certainly recharge the batteries. Uh, and everyone has their best way of going about it. And those are just a few of the ways that I do. Mike would attest it to you, but the first person you have to lead well is yourself in order to lead others and be a good steward to your community. Uh, I know I've kept you a long time, Jack. I'm so grateful for you sharing your story as a final rapid fire question. What is a big takeaway that you hope listeners to get from this conversation today? Yeah, my number one you know, rule and takeaway that I hope to pass along to folks is that technology and uh, business themselves, really just tools, you know, the same hammer you could use to you know, hit someone upside the head with, you can use to build a house for someone who doesn't have it already. Um, it, they can be tremendous forces for good. Um, and technology, in my estimation, uh, arguably goes the least utilized in the nonprofit world, in the nonprofit sector, which is unfortunate because in my eyes, the nonprofit sector is undoubtedly the arena in which technology and business and innovation have the greatest potential to meaningfully um, and transformatively improve people's lives. So, you know, I'm really grateful for your, you know, shining a light on our story, Jeff. Uh, Mike, always appreciate you being there every step of the way. Uh, I'm still just one of many. I'm sort of, I'm really right on the border of like, I'm either the oldest Gen Z or the youngest millennial entrepreneur, depending on who you ask, um, since I was born in 98. Um, but I'm still one of many, right, of um, young people who are increasingly aware of everything that, of everything that's wrong with the world and uh, in society. But we also are that much more empowered and we feel that much more equipped to be able to do something about it. And that's something I'm always grateful for is, you know, you see a lot of the news stories, right, of folks of like millennials, Gen Z being entitled. I don't think that's the case at all. Um, we, we're just really kind of fed up, uh, and, but we're still optimistic that, you know, we can do better uh, and we can always do better and uh, have, we can wake up to a future and we can wake up to a tomorrow that is better and brighter and kinder than the one we went to sleep to. Wanted to help you do better, where would they find you online? course. Um, foodfinder.us is our website. At foodfinder.us, all one word, is our social handle. Um, again, that's where you can learn more about us. Uh, if you feel compelled to donate to Food Finder's cause, we are still a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Every $10 we get in the form of donations helps us reach and serve 200 users of our platform. 
you can donate again at the website, but uh, really just appreciate anyone um, who's listening, you know, taking the time to look us up, follow our journeys and to explore whatever passions they have in their own lives, um, because we can all we can all use uh, more uh, more boots on the ground in whatever fights um, and uh, advancing the causes of whatever uh, folks may be passionate about uh, who are listening at home. Good ROI for your giving and certainly a worthy cause to support, Jack. Thank you so much for your gift of time. It's such a pleasure to know you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that wraps up another edition of Chat with Leaders. Thank you for investing your time with us today. If you haven't already, we would be grateful if you shared this episode with a friend and rated it on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts so we can pass down the wisdom from our guests to more aspiring leaders. If you're interested in launching a professional podcast to grow your business, we would love to help. Check out chatwithleaders.com for more information and feel free to reach out by emailing team at chatwithleaders.com. Thanks again and go be a leader worth following.